we're talking about, I'm preaching on worship, unashamed adoration. This is our fourth pillar, or maybe it's our first pillar. I don't know, it's one of the pillars, right? They're all equally important, but of the pillars, this actually might be the most important because if you think about the other pillars, preaching, sharing your testimony, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness, if you think about praying, all those things are really worship to God. That's what they are. They're worshiping the Lord. So we're going to get after uh, lifting high the name of Jesus Christ through worship. So our commitment here as a church to unashamed adoration is to lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship. Worship. Do you know what that word means? By the end of the time, I hope that you will know what that word means. Now, I want to say this. The church in America is sick. It's unhealthy. I don't know if you've been to a lot of churches. I've been to several. And uh, now I have the privilege of pastoring this one. And it seems like I'm a doctor. Most times I have to like kind of tune it up every week. Like, hey, the church is sick over here. Okay, let's get some health over there. Hey, the church is sick over here. Let's get some health over there. Seems like the church just kind of tends towards being sick. This book describes it. It's called Vertical Church by James McDonald, one of my mentors. And I would just encourage you, uh, our four pillars are the last four chapters of this book. The first four chapters of this book basically set up a theology of why we have a vertical church, why we want to go vertical rather than horizontal. But the church in America is pretty horizontal. I don't know why you came today. It could be for any set of reasons. It might vary week to week, right? Why did I come? But I hope first and most often you become to meet with God, right? To get into his presence, to seek his glory, to see his face, right? Friends are great. I have my small group right here. Friends are great. Small group's amazing. But there's nothing like being in the presence of the Lord. And that's why we came today. We came to worship God Almighty. We came to worship him. Let's do that right now in prayer. Let me pray. Father God, we came to worship you today. So let us quiet our hearts right now. What you care about most is what's inside of us, God, our spirit. And that spirit, however it goes, determines how the outside will look today. And so, God, we want to submit our spirit to you before we even start. And I pray that we would continue to submit our spirit to you, maybe more and more as we hear from the word of God what worship is all about. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, open your Bible to John chapter 4. Worship is mentioned 10 times, 10 times in five verses. It is the foremost passage on worship in all of Scripture. And if we're going to talk about unashamed adoration, let's just go there, okay? John chapter 4, I referenced this a couple weeks ago. Um, I read most of it for you, but I skipped this section, this woman at the well section, and I want to read it with you today. I want you to see the context, and then I want you to see why worship is so amazing with Jesus Christ. So in chapter 4 of John 4, verse uh, 7, we're going to be there. Okay, verse 7. If you're there, say you're there. Great, perfect. Thanks for being with me. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I love these parentheses. You see the parentheses right there? 
That means John's like, I have to describe this to some of my audience. The Gentiles won't understand what this means. So here, let me give you a little color, okay? All right, so that's every time you see the parentheses, that's what it means. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Oh, that's why he's alone. Okay, thanks, John. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, a woman of Samaria? Another parentheses. Hey, Gentiles, listen now. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Dealings means they don't use the same utensils, right? If you use a fork, I won't use that fork. If you use a water glass, I won't use that water glass. We are not the same. We're not in the same class, okay? That's what it means, dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew, underline, circle, highlight that word knew because it's so important. Truth is a hugely important gift from God. And, and if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What is this living water? I have the Holy Spirit written inside my Bible because we know the rest of the scriptures in John 14 through 16. Go read that this week. John 14 through 16, the foremost passage on the Holy Spirit in all of scripture, okay, teaches us that this water, this living water that he was giving is the Holy Spirit. It's himself. It's, it's God in the flesh. It's just God in the spirit. It's, it's God. I'll give you God. You could be one with God. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing. Don't you love that when people like point out facts? They're like, well, about that gift you want to give. You have no way of giving it. You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well. He dug it with his own hands. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I think she might be saying, Jesus, I don't know who you are, but you're lower than livestock, right? You're lower than Jacob's livestock for sure, because he was amazing. Wow. Hope that we didn't walk in thinking that today. Jesus said, I don't like you. You call me names. No, he didn't say that. Jesus said to her, everyone, he's proven his point, who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. I'm greater than Jacob. That's what he's saying. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up, a perpetual water source to eternal life. Now you know we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. I'm ready. I want it so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. She thinks it's physical. We know because we have the rest of Scripture. He's talking about something spiritual. And then our passage, here it is, verse 20, or verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. I'm like, I'm ready to give you water, but there's something in the way. Go call your husband and come here. 
Is the husband in the way? Well, we're going to find out. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. It's going to get crazy right now. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. She must have been like, where have I seen you before? Did you know me? You live in town? What's going on now? She said, the woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Hmm. You're good with God. You know my past, and I bet you know my future too, huh? Tell me. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship uh, the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, he's emphasizing that, in spirit, and in truth, he's emphasizing the well water, right? This well has water? No, no. I have a eternal living water. That's what he's emphasizing, the spirit. I will worship you in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know, underline that, I know, I know. I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, there's the other parentheses. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Like, there's somebody greater than you, prophet. There's a Messiah, he's coming, and when he comes, I'll listen to him. And Jesus said this. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Literally, I am speaks to you. Literally, I who speak to you, I am. He uses the name of God to reveal himself to her as God and to say, I am the Messiah. Did you catch the word worship in there? Ten times. Worship, worship, worshiper. Here's what it means. Let me define worship for you. I'll throw it up on the screen. This is a, a definition from Vertical Church, uh, the book by James McDonald. Worship is mind, emotion, and will engaged in whole person ascription of worth. Again, I encourage you. I know some of you guys are just coming in. I encourage you to pick up this book. This is basically what our church is all about. The first half tells you that the church is sick, and the second half, the last Chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are the four pillars that I've been preaching. So if you want to go home and study more, this is a great book on why we do church the way we do, what our vertical uh, church four pillars are. Then this from Tim Keller, worship is pulling our affections off our own idols and putting them on God. Simply put, worship is ascribing worth to. It's saying that's worth more and I'm worth less. That's what worship is. 
just look across the page to John 3.30. John the Baptist basically sums up worship with this statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think that's a verse every Bible should have underlined. <laughs> he must increase, I must decrease. Because see, people were trying to make John the Messiah. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not it. <laughs> he, Jesus, must increase. I, John, must decrease. We could put our own name in there, and it's true. Now back to the passage. Look at uh, verse 20. We're just going to work through this, and we're going to talk about true worship. He says, true worshipers. And so we're going to talk about true worship. Here it is, verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, in Samaria. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place. She's concerned about the place where we should worship, okay? Should we worship here? Should we worship there? Should we worship there? Should we worship here? Go look up Deuteronomy chapter 12. Jesus says, I'll give you a place to worship, Okay? You can go look it up right at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 12 and you can learn cool stuff. The place where people ought to worship. Notice she says people ought to worship. She's not wrong. People ought to worship. That's what we were made to do. We were made to worship. People ought to worship. But here's the problem with the verse. She starts the verse by saying, our fathers. True worship is hindered by the wrong authority. Hey, fathers are good authority when they're good authority. <laughs> right? We should obey our earthly fathers. Yet, yeah, I'm not arguing with that. When they're godly. See, these earthly fathers had told her, had taught her, we worship here, when truly they should have been worshiping in Jerusalem. But because of a division... They weren't doing what they should have done. You have any earthly fathers? How about our founding fathers, right? They wrote the law. We love to be in this country. But you know what? That law's been twisted up, and now people die every day. Unborn babies die every day at the hands of our law, right? And we're like, yeah, but we love our founding fathers. We love our government. We love, I love living in a free America. But we should not be killing people. Not in this country. So be careful what authority you follow and what they stand for. How about church fathers? We'll just get to my <laughs> street address, right? How about church fathers? Did you grow up in a church? Who grew up in a church? All right? So you're, you've been taught a lot of stuff by people saying, hey, I'm an authority in your life, and I know what's right. I don't know why I'm on this baby theme, but man, infant baptism, we have water here, but we're not baptizing any babies. We don't have any notions that babies can be saved because they can't make a choice to be saved. You're made up of intellect, emotion, and will. You have to choose Jesus Christ. He gives you a choice. So there will be no babies being baptized today. And that's one of the most heinous 
things a church father has ever brought out, right? It's crazy. And yet, because we grew up in that, right? There's so many church things I could abolish from my Baptist upbringing. We follow that. I didn't go to a movie till I was like, because movies were wrong. I didn't find that in the Bible. Some movies I won't go to because God's spirit won't be happy in there. And other movies I'm fine to go to as long as I'm in the spirit so I can counsel what's being said. Biological fathers, maybe adopted fathers, we'll put them in the same category the way you were brought up. Maybe you were brought up not to dance. Maybe you were brought up to dance. Maybe you were brought up not to drink. Maybe you were brought up to drink. Did I just say that? I did. I stumbled over that one. Maybe you're brought up in an abusive family. I read testimonies. Thanks for sharing your testimony with me. I think there was nine people that sent in their story. Thanks, Wendy, for sending your story. It was so fun to read it. God, it's a miracle that you're here. It's amazing. You know, and, and biological fathers, adoptive fathers, they tell you this or that, right? And they, and they believe it or they wouldn't tell you. But then there's the truth, right? We have our own fathers. We make them. It's our peer group. It's our friend fathers, I call it. It's like, who's my friend? In high school, this is really significant. Who's my friend? And I'm listening to their authority in my life. Okay, now I'm back to the point. True worship is hindered by the wrong authority. This, hold up with authority. This is the true authority. And Jesus Christ is gonna point us to the God who wrote this authority right now. Look at verse 21. Our second point is this. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When he talks about the hour all through John, he means the cross, his burial, and the resurrection. It's gonna happen soon. I'm gonna die for your sins, and I'm gonna raise again in victory over sin and death, and you're going to have a chance to have eternal life. That's the hour, and it's coming, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship. Did I miss something? Will you worship? Worship's obsolete when I go to the cross, except for this one point. The last two words of the verse are? Look down and tell me what the last two words of the verse are. The Father. Worship's obsolete except for this one thing, the Father, right? God. It's not about here. It's not about there. It's not about the place. It's about the person. It's about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That's what worship is about. And so this true worship is focused on the right authority. True worship is focused on the right authority. So many times we get our eyes down and we get our eyes on horizontal things. I said that the church is sick because of that. And we need to get our eyes up. We want to be a vertical church. We're looking up. God, what do you want? What do you have for us? And so sometimes when we come to worship, um, we have this vertical worship philosophy, right? It's in our step two material. If you've never been to step two, you can go. Second week of October. We encourage you to go on October 14th. But this is what it says, gathering. Vertical worship is gathering. It's testimony. It's ascription. Let me describe them for you. It's gathering. It's songs that welcome us in and invite us to come and bless the Lord. These are psalms of ascent. 
They help us get our eyes off ourselves and what's happened this week, the stress of life. Anybody? Yeah, like had a, whew, that was tough, right? But we can forget that and it allows us to focus our attention on the glory of God. Then there's testimony songs. This is where we proclaim the work of God among us, whether through singing or baptisms or God at work stories or open mic reading of scripture. This allows us to see what it says in Psalm 145, 5 or 4 in action. Here's what it says. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It's like this side saying, God is amazing. And this side saying back, God is amazing. Look what he did in my life. And if you had a hard week, just snuggle up to the person next to you and say, what did God do this week? Because they'll start to testify to how amazing their week was. And your week will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How many times has that happened for me? It happens all the time. And then we get to this place, this special place called description. Our aim every week is to encounter the manifest presence of God, like the experience of the priests. They would have this with the Holy of Holies once a year. But now through Jesus Christ and the cross, the veil has been torn and God wants to meet with us in a powerful way again today. It's amazing. One priest, once a year. Now, anybody who wants to come to Christ can worship him and be in his presence at all times. I love that about God and it's pure ascription. We're focused on the right authority. We're focused on the God who created the world, who's the author of salvation, and who's the source of all truth. All right, this third point from verse 22 and following. Verse 22, look at it quick. Verse 22 says, you worship what you do not know, as in you're wrong. We worship what we know, as in we're right. The Samaritans only worshiped based on the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The Jews worshiped God on all of the Old Testament and had a fuller understanding of what God was trying to do. We worship on the whole scripture and have an even more well-rounded view of who God is and what he is doing. How grateful I am for that. We know, for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation comes from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Abraham, the promise was made, right? Moses, the promise was made. David, the promise was made. It comes through the line of the Jews. The interesting thing, I just got to say this, not my notes. The interesting thing is the Samaritans were Jews, half-breeds, but they couldn't prove their genealogy. And rather than repenting and going through the rite of becoming a Jew, they were like, no, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. Well, you can't prove it. Well, I'm a Jew. It's all good. <laughs> Makes me think of my story sometime, my God story, from age five to age 17. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I don't need to do anything. I'm saved. And then all of a sudden, God shows up one day and he's like, you're not saved. Sin is your issue. You need to repent and be saved. And I was glad to hit my knees that day 
and to ask Jesus to be my Savior. So if you've been lulled to sleep, to thinking, oh, I don't, I don't need to listen. I don't, no, I'm good. I'm gonna, baptism's whatever. You know, like it's all good. I just, would you, would you ask God? Would you just at least give him a shot? Would you just say, God, what are you saying to me today? I'm, I'm willing to listen. I don't have to know everything today. It's a good thing. True worship is, here's the third point, accelerated by the gospel truth. You know, truth, perception is someone's reality. Your perception is your reality. Your perception is your truth. But is it actually true? And that's where this word comes in. The gospel truth. What does the gospel say? What has God written in his word? Now, I want you to look back up at the verse up here, verse uh, 16. When, when the woman said, you've got me, I want that living water, what did Jesus do? Well, here it is. Right? Was he like, there you go, water for everybody. Come on. What did he do? Read it in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. She's like, dude, I want the water. He can, he can do it be on his own plan. He knew the right question to ask, didn't he? To reveal sin. And so he said, hey, where's your hubby? Go get him. Let's do this water thing. And she answered, I have no husband. And he didn't say, you're wrong. Eh, wrong answer. He didn't say that, did he? He said, hey, what you said is uh, correct. That's right. You said you have no husband, and that's true, because you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband, as in you need to go to the chapel and get married, <laughs> right? So if you're living together, that's not marriage. He's being clear, isn't he? That you live with somebody, that's not marriage. You get up under somebody's authority, somebody who can present you man and wife, and you go get married. You commit to one another. It's a covenant relationship. See that circle? Never broken. It's forever. It's not just a fling. He's telling her the truth. What you have said is true in your own mind. It's true. But, but, I want to tell you the rest of the truth. And so she says, I, I see that you're a prophet. And he says, well, let's get into that. And uh, then they're here. And he says, you know what? You got to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He gets the gospel out. He gets it out. He says, you have to admit your sin. You have to believe that I'm God. <laughs> you have to live a life of worship. <laughs> so I got to ask you this question. It's been haunting me all week. She thought it was a physical thing. He addressed her spiritual need. He basically said this, what is your spiritual need right now? You're here. You're listening. If Jesus were here, right beside you, talking to you, and he pulled out this prophet move, right? What would he say? Go get your what? Would it be husband? Would it be wife? Go get your credit cards and bring them to me. 
Go get your material possessions. Go get your fear. Go get your family. It's hindering you. Go get that church background. Go get, what would he say? What's hindering you? What are you hiding behind your back so that Jesus doesn't have to see it? You know he can see it, right? He sees right through it. You can be honest. This is a good church for that. I read every one of those testimonies. I was like, bam, that's a real person. And when we get real, we encounter an amazing God. And when we encounter an amazing God, we see a lasting change. That's why you're writing this down, because you got real. That's it. That's the linchpin. When you get real, everything's moving in the right direction. When you say, here's who I really am, we're all going to just go, hey, we love you. Because Jesus loves you. He welcomed us. He's going to welcome you too. And that's the start of something pretty crazy. What is it? Go get your sin, whatever it is, and admit you're wrong because there is no conversion without conviction. So if somebody told you you were saved, right? But there was no conviction, if there, there's got to be repentance for a saving faith. I want to be clear. Okay, let's get to the next point. Number four. True worship is accelerated by the gospel of truth and true worship is powered by a surrender of my heart. Powered by the surrender of my heart. Here's the thing. I could have put powered by the Holy Spirit. I could have wrote that down. That's true. True worship is powered by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit in you that makes you worship or helps you worship. Yeah, I understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has done their job. That's where the sovereignty of God has to collide with the free will of man. Boom. You have a will too. You're a spirit. Read the verse here, 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, I want to say this about true worshipers. There must be false worshipers if he's saying true worship. Right? Right? Jesus made it clear that all religions are not equally acceptable before God. That some worshipers act in ignorance and unbelief. He's making that clear. Don't let that be you. True worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He says, God is spirit. That's the linchpin. God is spirit. Try to get your hands on him. God's spirit. What is he saying? He's invisible. Write these verses down and go test me and see if I'm right. John 1.18. Start writing fast. The professor's going to go quick. Colossians 1.15. 1 Timothy 1.17. And also 1 Timothy 6.16. Last, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. If you need those verses again, come ask me. I got to keep rolling. I'm telling you, God is spirit. God is invisible. But this isn't talking about God's spirit. God is spirit. 
just as the lead-in to help you understand what he's talking about with the Spirit, okay? God is Spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He's emphasizing the Spirit because he's already been over the truth part. Truth is, God's our Father, not our fathers, God the Father. That's the truth. Truth is, salvation comes from the Jews, Truth is, the word is the truth. Live inside of this, that's worship. But now he's emphasizing the spirit and he's saying there's something invisible in you. Can't see it. No extra machine has ever caught it. It's your spirit. And you must worship God in spirit, the intangible. The thing nobody could put their finger on. It's made up of intellect, what you know, emotion, what you feel, and will, what you choose. Your spirit, made by God to connect to his spirit, intangible, invisible with intangible, invisible. And that is salvation. When that happens, when you receive Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit connects with your spirit and you are sealed until the day you die, until the day of redemption, until the day Jesus Christ comes back for you. It's the guarantee the Spirit is. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. You say, how do I worship him in spirit? It's internal. It's not external. I'm going to ask you for an external kind of close, right? I'm going to ask you to get on your knees in worship today because that's what worship means, to, to ascribe worth to, to bend the knee, to kiss the ring, to get low, to lay prostrate. That's what it means. For who? For an earthly master? No, uh uh-uh. For the creator of the universe. So I'm gonna ask you for a physical response. Maybe baptism would be your response today. That's physical too. But it has to happen in before it can happen out. Otherwise it's hypocrisy. It has to go in It has to be spirit and truth, not just truth. That'll get you into trouble. I've done that for years. It has to be inside before it's outside. It must come from the heart. You're talking about spirit. You're talking about heart. Yeah, I'm not talking about like, I know we're in a medical community. Boom, 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 boom. I'm not talking about that. We say heart, we mean our inside intangible spirit, right? That's what we're talking about. God is looking for true worshipers. This this story is an amazing picture of that. I want you to see it. God's saving love knows no limitations. It transcends all barriers of race, gender, ethnicity, and religious tradition. I mean, who's he talking to? That's crazy. Won't he be defiled? Won't he be unclean? What if he drinks from her pot? 
Here's what I know about Jesus. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he wasn't scared to be defiled because he made Lazarus clean. When he healed the leper, he wasn't as scared to be defiled like everyone else was. Run! Because whatever Jesus touches is made clean. At the well, he wasn't scared to drink from the same cup as an ungodly, idolatrous woman, right? Because whatever Jesus touches, he makes clean. Thank you, Jesus. Let's finish with this. Number five, true worship is possible now through Jesus Christ. I just want to say this. I'll read it from the text. The woman said to him, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. The Messiah is coming. And you know, he who we call the Christ, just for you Gentiles, uh, when he comes, he will He will tell us all things. When he comes, he'll tell us everything. I'm waiting for him. Jesus says, I am speaks to you. I'm right here. And in that moment, she knew that she was talking to God. Do you have that sense today? Like you're in the presence of God? Like you came to a different church where God's actually here? And he might be speaking to you right now? Do you have that sense See, because when I know, I know I came to church. I know, I know, I know. I went to church all my life. When I know gets shattered by I am, that's true worship. See, I've been wrestling with that all week. It's like, I know I'm a pastor. I know, I know, I know. I know everything. I studied Greek. I studied Hebrew. I know. And God has been pursuing my heart all week saying, I am. I am everything you hope to know. When I know, get surrendered to, I am. That's true worship. We're going to go to a time of worship in music. But there is no worship apart from what's in your heart. You can sing songs. You can say words. But if your heart doesn't mean a thing. So today will be a reflective time of worship. Where it needs to happen here before it can happen out there. Now, we do have water. We're going to baptize people today. And I wonder if God would say to you, you need to get baptized. You need to show people what's inside of you. You've never shown people outside what's inside. And this is what I've declared for you to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for you, your family, for everyone who the Lord has called to himself. Save yourself from this crooked generation, he says. And so during our worship time, if you need to be baptized, 
There's no excuse. We have t-shirts, clothes. We have everything. Your family, yeah, they're not here, but we're your family, right? If you love Jesus, we love Jesus. We're family, right? There's all these excuses. Well, I didn't plan on it. I'll do it next time. You said that last time. This is next time. Stop running and start internalizing what you believe. Worship him in spirit and in truth. It's a good word for us, huh, church? It's a good word. Let's not forget it as we walk on to a new series next week. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage. Man, worship is so powerful. It's what we were made to do. It's who we are. And I pray, God, that everyone here would worship you with truth worship, but also in spirit. God, from the inside out, that they would know you deep inside, that they would surrender what they think they know to the truth of who you are, that they would surrender all the feelings they think they have for the feeling they can have in you, that they would take that that choice that you've given them, the will, and that they would line that choice up with your will and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He always has been, and now I know by faith he always will be, and I will see you in eternal life. I pray this over your people today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.